Welcome to the official podcast for Triumvir Clio's School of Classical Civilization. I'm Beth, aka Triumvir Clio. Hello again. Welcome back. I hope you're well. Um, it's still winter as I'm writing this. When I started this podcast a year ago, um, about a year ago, my time, not necessarily the time that you're hearing this, anyway, um, I planned to be, I don't know, five or six weeks ahead so that I had a cushion. And that cushion completely disappeared thanks to COVID. But I'm finally getting myself back to where I really want to be about a month or so ahead, which feels good. Um, It's 100% a self-imposed deadline. But then I suppose this entire podcast is self-imposed. It still makes me happy, though. So despite the severity of the phrase, self-imposed, it's all good. I, yeah, I shouldn't use that that phrase. Anyway, today we have book two of the Argonautica. We've gotten Jason and his massive crew of demigods and heroes on their way. Um, Heracles, Hylas, and Polyphemus have been left behind, but the rest are into the Black Sea. Um, Try not to pay too much attention to the geography, I swear. There are multiple points where it says they cross into the Black Sea. Um, so it, I, I, yeah, just try try not to think too hard about the geography. Um, they are definitely making progress on their journey to Colchis to fetch the Golden Fleece. Um, as I mentioned in the last Argonautica episode, I'm working from two different translations. Um, as I'm doing an initial read, I'm using the Arthur Way verse translation. Um, but I'm using the E.P. Coleridge prose as I do the actual writing of the episode. So here we go. Book two starts with a description of Amicus, the king of the um, Babrises. The Argonauts have reached Bithynia, which is where the Babrises live. Um, Amicus is not, despite his name, which you'd think would be amicable, but that's not how it's spelled. Um, It's got a Y. He is not impressed by the shipload of heroes um, and challenges the best of them to a boxing match. I know that's how I always greet strangers. I mean, isn't isn't that what you do? You just say, hey, let's box. Uh, Yeah, that's what I do. Anyway, the Argonauts are enraged by his taunts, most of all Polydikes, who takes up the challenge. And no surprise, Polydikes wins. And yes, Apollonius describes the entire fight. Uh, The Babrises do not take this defeat well, and so an out-and-out brawl ensues. The Argonauts have the advantage of a ship to escape on, so run away they do. (laughs) Run away, run away. Anyway, uh, they make landfall and do the usual, you know, make sacrifices, eat, dress their wounds. And then they meet a man named Phineas... Um, No, he does not have a brother named Ferb, sadly. No, this Phineas is very old and very cursed. He is blind and miserable and constantly besieged by harpies. Um, He has the gift of prophecy, but he's had the audacity to share his visions with others. And that's why the gods have cursed him. Uh, Yeah. The Argonauts take pity on the old man, um, and the sons of Boreas drive the harpies away, giving Phineas the first piece he's had in ages. Um, In gratitude, he does what got him in trouble in the first place and shares his foresight with the Argonauts, describing 
all of their upcoming trials um, and how best to survive the rest of their journey to Colchis. He basically draws them a map of how to get from where he is to Colchis. And this is another lengthy scene that you can read for yourself. In the morning, the Argonaut sets sail again, following the route laid out by Phineas. It's smooth-ish sailing until they reach the clashing rocks. Uh, Now, Phineas had warned them about this spot, um, so they were prepared and knew what they needed to do to get through. Um, And they would have gotten through completely unscathed if they hadn't lost their nerve at the sight of these rocks that, well, they do pretty much what their name implies. They keep clashing together. And they only get through because Athena intervenes and holds the rocks apart long enough for the Argo to sail through. They pass all of the spots foretold by Phineas and spot Apollo on his way to visit the Hyperboreans. Um, So they stop and build an altar to the god, the Hyperboreans. The Hyperboreans are are all the way in in the north, basically the North Pole. He's gone to visit Santa. Um, Anyway, so so they stop and build an altar to Apollo because, you know, if you see the god passing by, you probably should do something to commemorate that. Otherwise, you might wind up like Phineas. Um, They feast for a few days and then set sail again. They next make camp near the land of the Mariandini, who are ruled by Lycus. Lycus greets them warmly, and Jason tells the story of everything that has happened to the Argonauts so far. And they spend an amicable time together. But then Idmon, the seer, um, goes hunting and gets gored by a, bo- by a boar, uh, which was fated to happen, apparently, and so he dies. Um, so they have to have a funeral. And while they're in the midst of the funeral for Idmon, Tiphys, their pilot, gets sick and he dies too. So they have to have another funeral. And then after everybody's buried and they've had all of the proper funeral rites, the Argonauts are finally able to set sail again. They sail for several days and then come across the tomb of of Sthenelus, who had accompanied Heracles when he went to get Hippolyta, the Amazon's girdle. That's one of his um, labors for um, Eurystheus. Um, Sthenelus was wounded and died before reaching Greece, which is why he's buried so far from home. Um, Which, of course, means we get the whole story of how Sthenelus died and the whole story of Heracles and Hippolyta's girdle and the Amazons and it's all quite thrilling. Um, anyway, the Argonauts, of course, stop to pay their respects at Sthenelus's grave. And while they're there, they, they pick up a few more sailors. There are three, three who were left behind from that, that Heracles quest. And so they, they join the crew as well. Um, and then they sail on. And, and we start seeing the land become more and more foreign. Um, they pass a land where the men are the child bearers, not the women. Um, and a land where everything that is normally done in private is done publicly and vice versa. And more lands where everything is backwards, at least as far as the Argonauts are concerned. It's very, it's very barbarian to, to these good, proper Greeks. Um, they also pick up four more guys on, on the way. So um, we lost three crew members in book one, but it's okay because they just picked up seven more here in book two. Um, anyway, they, they, they see all of these, you know, barbarian lands where, where things are just done the wrong way if you're a good Greek man. Um, but they keep on sailing and eventually 
they reach the Caucasus. Uh, they know they're there because they can see Prometheus and the, the eagle that keeps flying in to eat his liver every day. Um, and that's, they know that Prometheus is there in the Caucasus. Um, and Colchis is nearby. So they are approaching Colchis and they, they weigh anchor and rest for the night. And book two ends. I know I said I'd try to avoid Homer comparisons until we finished reading the Argonautica, but it's so hard. So I'm going to make one, just one, I promise. Even though I'm a dancer and we're notorious for saying just one more time, um, and that means a lot more than just one more time. But no, just one, I, I promise. There are only four books in the Argonautica, as opposed to the 24 in each of the Iliad and the Odyssey. Um, and I think that's because each of these books uh, is significantly longer than most of the books in the Iliad and the Odyssey. And that that's it. <laughs> that's all I'm going to say. Um, these books are long. There's a lot that happens. It, it, and it, there's simultaneously a lot and not a lot that happens in book two. Um, I mean... They go a long way. It's it is a journey. Book two is a journey. Book one was the start, the introduction, meet meet all the characters, and book two is how they get to Colchis. Um, and and this makes it really there's they're very logical and almost modern structure. Um, if we think of them as chapters as opposed to books, um, and I I definitely glossed over some parts. But but there are there are some parts that pass by very quickly. They're just traveling like, oh, and there's this place and that place and this place and that place. And and eventually they get to Colchis. Um and and it's especially that rapid section where where we see where where they pass by so many I, <laughs> They wouldn't use the word civilization because there was only one civilization and everything else was barbarian, right? Um, but I'll call them civilizations because I have a broader worldview than the ancient Greeks did. Um, <laughs> so the, these little mention, mentions of all these other little civilizations that they pass on on their way, these little societies, where things are, are not done the way they're done in Greece. Um, and that... That makes me think of Herodotus, um, and I think it would be really interesting to read this alongside um, the histories by Herodotus, um, because that Herodotus, it, it's as much kind of a sociology, it, it's not necessarily what we think of as a history um, the later historians are much more telling the story of what came before, whereas he's got a lot of, oh, and in, in this land, the people live like this, and and this is how, the, you know, it's, it, it's as much a study of society um, and different cultures as it is a study of, of the past. Um, and, and I really feel that influence... Um, here in the Argonautica um, of looking at these weird cultures that aren't like us. And it's not, Herodotus tries not to be too judgmental um, in his telling. Um, There is definitely some judgment passed here. I mean, really, men men giving child, giving, doing the whole childbirth thing, that just, really? Which I want to know more about that. 
that society where that happens like is it really or is it or is it kind of like my thoughts on lemnos where it's not necessarily that it, that the men are there is it that the women are so strong and powerful that they are akin to men and the greeks being these you know macho macho men um get get confused and 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 just can't believe that that can't possibly be a woman who has that much power so it must be a man who is apparently giving birth um whereas maybe it's an egalitarian thing happening there too which uh, this could be another whole paper you guys could write that would be interesting um so yeah i mean we haven't covered herodotus and the histories yet um so i'm i'm not going to <laughs> I'm, I will try not to dwell on this. I already have dwelled on it longer than I initially planned to. Um, but if if you are listening to this podcast in support of some college class that you're taking, um, that might be an interesting paper to write, um, comparing Herodotus and um, and the the Argonautica. Um, I don't know if anyone's done that. I didn't. I didn't look it up. I could have. Um, if if it's happened, it's probably on JSTOR. Um, anyway, the section that really stands out to me. Um, is the part about Phineas. And honestly, if you haven't read this yet, you may want to save that section for an empty stomach. Uh, it's it's gnarly. Uh, and, that, and that's probably why it stands out. It's, I mean, that section gets really gross at times. Um, well, I mean, okay, that and the fact that he makes me think of Phineas and Ferb because of the name, which is the only thing that they, they have in common. They are both named Phineas. Um, so the Phineas that we... we from the art, the, the ancient Greek one, not the Disney TV show one. Um, anyways, what I don't get about Phineas is um, that he's been given the gift of prophecy and he's used it, um, which you'd think is why the gods would give someone the gift of prophecy. Um, but instead, it's just pissed the gods off. So they've cursed him with a lot of stuff, which is why the section gets as gross as it does. Um, I I don't get it. I don't get why they gave him this gift and then are mad at him for using it. I, I mean, it's similar to Cassandra, but she's not cursed because she uses her gift. She's cursed because Apollo wanted to sleep with her and she refused. It, it It's not the same, you know, it's not the same thing. She's still, she's still totally allowed to use her gift. Just nobody believes her. Whereas they're just mad at Phineas from saying things that he's seen in the first place. Um, I mean, so I don't I don't understand why the gods are so upset that Phineas uses his gift. Um, and I also have to wonder, what happens to him after the Argonauts leave? I mean, they've driven the harpies away, but is that a permanent fix? Is I mean, and he's still old and, like, he's super old. Because that's one of the big things about Phineas. He is... He is super old and he's grown old. This is not my 90-year-old neighbor who occasionally has been known to mow the leaves in my front yard because he didn't have enough of his own yard to mow, apparently, you know, and takes daily constitutionals in the park. This is not, this is not my neighbor, Walt. This is, this is Phineas, who is stereotypically old um and most of the old people that we've met are wise mentor types and i mean sometimes they're literally named mentor uh, that's not what we find in phineas 
Sure, once the Argonauts help him out with the harpies, he does impart his wisdom, but he does not paint a pretty picture of aging. Um, So what does the whole Phineas scene tell us about age versus youth? Undoubtedly, there is more that we could talk about, um, but I think I'll leave it here for today. Um, I've told you that my brain goes places, frequently Broadway themed. Uh, So if you pop over to the blog, you can see some clips of where my brain went when I was writing today's episode. And of course, there are the usual discussion prompts as well. I probably um, could have come up with even more as, as I think of things as I've been reading off the script. Um, Anyway, the blog is at triumvirclio.school.blog. The URL and maybe a link are in the show notes. The link to my Patreon page is in the show notes too. On Monday, we will read Plautus's Epidicus. Talk to you then. You can join the discussion of this and everything covered in this podcast by following the link in my show notes. And if you're enjoying what you've heard so far, please consider supporting the show with a monthly donation of your choosing, just like public radio. And please also consider giving a five-star review on your podcatcher of choice so that more people can discover the fun that is Triumvir Clio's School of Classical Civilization.